Hello, party people, and welcome to You Scared of This. It's a weekly podcast where we watch every episode of Nickelodeon's hit horror anthology series in the year 2000. Thousand, 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 thousand. There you go, thank you. And then we try to determine whether or not it is still scary. I am one of your two grown-ass 31-year-old hosts, Eli Phillips, and with me as always is my best friend, an equally, almost equally grown-ass adult, David Dykus. Not even close. Eli, how are you? <laughs> I am exhausted. How are you doing? I'm also exhausted, but probably not for the same reasons you are. <laughs> Why are you exhausted? I can't see my forehead. <laughs> that doesn't even... <laughs> no, I just haven't been sleeping well. Eli, tell the party people, why why are you exhausted this morning? I couldn't sleep well either, because I went to a Dave Matthews concert. (laughs) Well, that certainly falls into our wheelhouse of 90s nostalgia. Hey, hey, 2000s nostalgia. Between 2000 and 2010, the Dave Matthews band was like the most sellingest uh, live act in North America. Were they really? Yeah, I think they generated the most revenue of any like live music act. Well, tell me what it was like. Did you smoke a doobie? Perhaps play some <laughs> hacky sack? <laughs> uh, my wife and I joked about going and buying bucket hats, but we couldn't find any at Target, uh, which is like the only store we regular go to regularly go to because of how boring we are. We almost went to Walmart for bucket hats, but then we decided not to. Um, there were no other bucket hats there. I did not see a doobie, which I, ref- I refuse to call by any other name while we're discussing the Dave Matthews band. I saw no hacky sacks. It was a bit of a shock to me. I did see a lot of older people. Uh, Cheyenne looked at me and said, these are the most, like, older adults, like, older than us, I've ever seen at a concert. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, that's because we went to see, like, Grimes, and then at this at this venue we've seen Grimes, and then we saw <laughs> Fall Out Boy and Wiz Khalifa together. So, like, this is definitely the oldest skewing show we've seen at the Circuit of the Americas. Well, does Dave Matthews Band still rock? Do they ever rock? <laughs> I was gonna say, there's that, that Futurama joke. So I really am important? How I feel when I'm drunk is correct? Yes, except the Dave Matthews Band doesn't rock. Do you know what? Cheyenne and I started listening to Dave Matthews Band together, ironically, like maybe a year or two ago. I think that she said something and I said, that was too much. And then I said, Alexa, play the song Too Much by the Dave Matthews Band. It always starts out ironically. Alexa, cancel. Alexa, stop. Alexa, play Dave Matthews too much. <laughs> My headphones are on. She already plays him too much, I assure you. Yeah, it started off as a joke, and then she was like, wow, you know all of the words to this song. And I said, yeah, I was, like, embarrassingly into Dave Matthews when I was in high school. And she said, I love Dave Matthews. And it was all downhill from there. So now now she owns a, uh, a t-shirt and a bandana that she bought on a concert tour, and I own a flask with Dave Matthews lyrics etched into it. I hope you're very proud of yourself. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's the dumbest. Like, why would why would Dave Matthews sell a flask? That doesn't seem on brand for him. But it says one drink to remember and one drink to forget. And I was like, well, that's the most perfect lyric you could put on a flask. I guess I'm gonna have to start drinking from a flask. So now I own a flask. 
Well, I'm glad you at least had a, a, a good time at the Dave Matthews Show and got some sweet DMB swag. Hang on one it was second. I'm hearing some really loud music. Did you accidentally tell your Alexa to play? She's been playing it the whole time? Stop, Alexa. Cancel. <laughs> this is the future our parents warned us about. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, really quick, I had to go and stop my own Alexa. Because when I, when I jokingly yelled, when I tried to uh, get Eli's Alexa to play D&D, uh, my own Alexa heard me and has been playing Dave Matthews in the background for several minutes. And I'm not going to try to remove it from the background. <laughs> this is all too much. Oh, God. Eli, do we have any nude business? We have to move on. Let's get to some nude some business. Nickelodeon nostalgia news. I actually have some here if you want me to start this uh, this segment. Yeah, yeah, start us off. All right, we actually have some news on the Double Dare reboot coming up soon. Nickelodeon has named a host for the show. It is going to be not Mark Summers, as I'm sure we all hoped. Instead, it's going to be Liza... Liza? Liza, I think it's Liza. Like... Liza Koshy. Yeah. Who's going to host the show, but uh, fear not, Mark Summers will still appear on the show as a color commentator. I like that. So he's going to be like the, the Andy to her Conan. I, something like that, yeah. But there you go. We have a, a young female host for the new Double Dare. I'm fine with that. Very exciting Nickelodeon news. Do you have any other Nickelodeon news to share? Uh, did Yeah, so the royal wedding was uh, this past week. And uh, apparently uh, I found an article from The Independent where it's... Uh, I haven't watched the video yet, but apparently it's video footage of Meghan Markle... On the big help as a kid or something. No way! She was on Nick News. <laughs> That's actually kind of awesome. My name's Megan Markle. I'm 12 years old. I hate my wimpy toilet bowl cleaner. Commercials, they do say a lot of things that most people don't even notice. We'll post a link to that on uh, on the Facebook group. But I found that. I thought that was really interesting. Um, I wanted to update. We talked about how Nickelodeon was, uh, you know, their ratings were not doing well and how Cartoon Network was not doing well. Disney Channel was not doing well. And I said, eventually, they're going to have to just come out with, like, uh, a subscription service. Yeah. Uh, well, did, I did not know at the time, but apparently Nickelodeon has a subscription service specifically for preschoolers. It is called, and you may not be surprised to hear this, Noggin. <laughs> they have a streaming service exclusively for, for preschoolers. I mean, I guess you're trying to hook them really young, huh? Well, when we were talking about it last week, I think I even said that, in my mind, they were probably losing their audience on the bottom end more than the top end, because I see younger kids, you know, out at restaurants or at Target, parents will be pushing their kids in the cart, and the kid is just holding the parent's iPad or their phone, and they're just watching shit on it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network and Disney Channel are losing out to Netflix and YouTube. So it would make sense for them to be like, hey, here's just a cheap subscription service of nothing but you know approved kid content that you know is going to be of some quality so i just thought that was interesting uh anyway i found out about it because i was doing some nick news research and they were expanding their service and their educational offering and i was like oh they're using the name noggin i know that they had renamed it the inn when it became a tv channel or whatever and uh yeah they have a streaming service called noggin so thought i would update us on that megan markle any other nick news let's see Nope, I think we're good. 
All right, then. Sliding away from the desk. All right, then let us slide away from the news desk. We <laughs> now when you slide up away from the news desk, I'm assuming you're sitting like at the bottom of the slide, like with your back to your destination, and you it's literally just like watching a video being played in reverse. Yeah, it's a reverse motion video thing. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. So this one... And the news desk is in a ball pit, and I just slide out of it. <laughs> so, this week on our program, we're going to be talking about the 87th episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? 87 episodes! We're going to be talking about... Where does the time go? We're going to be talking about the tale of the photo the finish. Of the photo finish. Which was yep. directed by Mark Slard, written by Alan Kingsburg, and originally aired on May the 14th of the year 2000. Thousand, thousand. Yeah. And this is going to be an Andy story. This is the uh, 22nd episode of The New Batch, and it's reuniting the sort of, like, power couple, or the, the like most prominent players of The New Batch, which are Mark Szilard and Alan Kingsburg. Truly the DJ McHale yeah. and Chloe Brown of their day. <laughs> what if they are the same person? <laughs> um, this is our penultimate Andy episode, and it also marks the beginning of the final five episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yep. We're in the end game now. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only way, Tony. When we start this episode, Tucker warns everyone. At school, Andy has been denied entry into something called the Ring Club. The Ring Club. The most uncreatively named club to ever give people a ring. I was going to say, maybe they like wrestling or something? Like a wrestling ring? Maybe they just really <laughs> like the Olympics? It's not clear why they are called the Ring Club at first, but all the other kids react and they're like, oh, you mean those asshole jocks? Yeah. And uh, Tucker insists that it is a service club, that it's a group of asshole jocks pretending to be nice. Yeah, they all talk about how snobby this club is. And it feels a little bit hypocritical, like... You guys realize you're in the Midnight Society, right? You guys realize that this None is a club them. where you, like, grant and deny people entry. I, I guess it's different from the New Batch since they've never actually done that. Like, the only person who's ever been involved in the initiation process is Tucker. And Tucker has never been on the, like, standard voting end of that either. He has, he's been voted into the club... And he's brought someone, but he's never just been, like, a regular member when someone else brings someone in, and he gets the right to, like, say no to them or anything. That's true. When it came time to form the new batch, he just left the door wide open. So, maybe the new batch is a more open and accepting group than the uh, previous Midnight Society was. Maybe they're more woke. Well, good for Tucker, then. Really, to show how woke he is, Tucker says that he fought for Andy to get into this club, and when they still wouldn't uh, accept him, Tucker left the club himself. And rejected the Rings Club altogether. Uh, Andy finally shows yeah. up, having taken this entire experience pretty well, and gets right to his club-themed spooky story, which is the tale of the photo finish. We have to talk about this for a second. This is an episode where the opening has literally everything to do with the story. Yeah, they fucking are finally tied together. And yeah, after 80, 80 what, seven, 87 episodes. Yeah. They finally get one where, like, everything that happens in the opening is directly tied to the shit that's happening in the story. Good job, Andy. He throws that coffee creamer right on the fire. Tale of the photo finish. Tale of the photo finish. <laughs> and when the tale of the photo finish begins, holy fucking shit, I thought we were back in the crazy underground world from the tale of the wisdom glass. 
I knew you were going to be excited about that. <laughs> we have a bunch of people in goofy ass robes with hoods on. They're all wearing the goofy masks from the Tale of the Wisdom Glass. Uh, a group of like cult members, it looks like, are escorting a bunch of blindfolded teen boys into their like secret meeting chamber. Those who dare enter this place must pay the ultimate price. Yeah, these eyes wide shut masked druids lead these like young teenage boys in and say that they have to pay the ultimate price. They're instructed to reach into a bowl that's placed in front of them and devour the contents of that bowl, which are supposedly the intestines of a wild boar. One of these kids immediately <laughs> shits himself and runs away. The rest of these kids just start shoveling red ooze into their faces. Uh, turns out this was all an elaborate hazing ritual. <laughs> yeah, these guys are part of a boarding school, like a prep school for boys. They are trying to get into the most elite club at this school, a secret society called the Lions. Uh, which is basically, according to the enormous banner behind them, they're just the Lannisters. They have a giant red and gold banner of a lion, and their leader is a blonde asshole. So these boys are trying to get initiated into House Lannister. Pretty much. They're trying to become bannermen. It turns out they're, I guess we should clarify, they're not eating the intestines of a wild boar. It's just, as they say over and over, red gelatin. Uh, this is when we are introduced to our one young protagonist and his best friend, Chandler and Alex. Alex is uh, from, a, we learn that he is not from a rich, snobby family like the other kids. He's a kid who's at the school on scholarship. And it seems like this is the reason why the Lions decide they don't want him in their group, because he's not like them and he's not one of them. Uh, Chandler is instructed by the asshole Lannister leader to let Alex know that he is out. Yeah, after this bizarre ritual, Chandler is pulled aside by the Lion Society leader, who is just the whitest, snobbiest, waspiest guy I think I've ever seen. He's like, he's like 80s summer movie villain. Yeah, like I ha my notes here say, imagine Paul Bettany, but younger and somehow even whiter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like if Vision was uh, the asshole at a ski lodge where some some high school seniors are trying to lose their virginity. This whole scene where they deny Alex admission, I only mention this because Jose talks about it in the Campfire Companion. Buy it now. There's a weird racial undertone to this scene. Because Whitey McWhiterson, the leader of the Lion Society, pulls Chandler, who is white, aside and tells them that Alex, who is non-white, isn't Lion Society material. They don't come out right and say it. Again, they try to sort of, like, pin it on the fact that Alex is a scholarship kid. He's not, from, he's not a legacy. But there is a weirdly uncomfortable vibe to it. Because... For the most yeah. part, the Lion Society, from what we see, with the exception of maybe one or two people in the background, are mm -hmm. all, mm -hmm. like, uber-white Aryan blonde snobs. Yes. Uh, I assume it wasn't intentional, but there are only a few, like, maybe maybe three or four non-white members of this uh, prep school elite club, and they have chosen not to let the non-white kid in. Uh Again, later on, we learn that it's because he's allegedly not like them because he's not from a family like theirs. Well, it's like... But until you... It's still pretty uncomfortable because in the next scene, you hear Chandler say... He said you're out. But why? I didn't even... I don't know. Yeah, you do. 
Yeah, it, it the optics are never good here. Uh, but anyway, Chandler is the one that has to break the news to Alex. He lets him know. Alex says, yeah, these guys are assholes. They're doing it because I'm not from a rich family. We also learn that the boys, in order to get initiated, the final thing is that they have to pull an epic prank. Yep. Something, what is it? Something funny, creative, and brave. And then they say, all the qualities of a lion. I have to assume they don't mean an actual lion, right? <laughs> I don't know what kind of lions they've been hanging around with, but no, I assume not. <laughs> because they... Because he says that. He says, all the qualities of a lion. And I went, wait a second, what? How many creative lions are there? Like, how many funny lions are there? And then I was like, oh, he probably means, like, the other rich assholes. Which is also interesting to me, because none of these guys look creative or funny. No. (laughs) Also, it's easy to be brave when you're protected by wealth and whiteness. So, like, maybe shut the fuck up, guys. But they tell Chandler that he he has to pull off a prank. And he decides the prank he's going to pull off is he's going to steal a photo uh, that has been hanging in the school. A very classic sort of prep school type prank. It's like an old-timey portrait of one of the old headmasters that uh, I think is in the library. Yeah, and he does. He steals it. Yeah, that night we uh, we follow Chandler as he tries to pull off his prank. Uh, He sneaks into the library, uh, is debating on which portrait he's going to steal when some supernatural shit starts to happen. One of the portraits appears to move... In effect, that's almost creepy. We see something kind of bulging out from behind the painting, and then it falls off the wall from its own power. Alarms go off, Chandler panics, he nabs this fallen portrait and just hightails it out of the library as fast as he can back to his dorm room. I loved this scene. It felt like something out of Harry Potter. Kind of did, yeah. So when when Chandler makes it back to their dorm, he begs Alex to help him uh, stash this portrait before a security comes to knock Alex notices that this portrait has been fixed on top of another much older photo in the same picture frame. So they peel off the portrait, roll it up, and stash it in the closet, and they hang the the new newly revealed photo on their bulletin board. And it's a black and white photo of a house with a young man sitting on the porch. Yeah, it's uh it's like this creepy old photo of an old building. Yeah. And they do take note of the of the young guy sitting there. Can I say that Say it. This gives me the heebie jeebies. What gives you the heebie-jeebies? The whole thing. I, listen, old photos. Give me the. I think I've gone on record on this show. I think it was in the the Stone Maiden or whatever the name of that episode was. Uh, old black and white photos that are potentially haunted. Give me the fucking heebie-jeebies. Have you ever seen? Uh, you ever seen the movie Lake Mungo? Nope. And I'm. It sounds like a movie you made up. I know it does. Uh, there's a good reason for that. It's Australian. Ah. And when you hear that, the name Lake Mungo totally makes sense. Yeah, I buy uh, that. Lake Mungo is is a horror movie. I think it's still on Netflix, and if it's not, it's totally worth renting on Amazon. Lake Mungo is the most bizarre fucking horror movie I've ever seen. It hooks you in, and then all of a sudden it's something else, and then all of a sudden it's something else, and it just keeps doing that over and over and over. And it, like, really, it's like the horror equivalent of edging you. And I mean, oh, I mean, I'm enticed by that. And then at the very end, it really goes for it. But it's a it's a movie Uh, about like catching ghosts, like not catching, not literally catching, but but taking a photo, busting ghosts, if you will. (laughs) It's a yeah, they could have come up with a better name. I don't know what, but something Uh, it's it's a photo about like filming something or taking a photo and then afterwards realizing there's a ghost in it. And that shit. I've always been in love with and been obsessed with, as you, Dykus, know. 
Um, and I don't know why, but yeah, it has always scared me. I'm also going to point out that I got a serious the the witches vibe off of this. The movie that was directed by the Jim Henson or produced by the Jim Henson Company and written by Roald Dahl based on his book, where like the witch keeps the girl inside the painting. Never saw it. Anyway, so they've got this scary uh, scary ass picture on their wall, and I don't like it. And the uh, the security guard comes in, stoops around the room. He only sees this old timey picture on the wall, doesn't recognize it, and leaves the two boys alone. Uh, later that night, Alex hears footsteps and strange noises coming from the direction of the picture. And upon closer examination, it turns out the guy sitting on the porch in the photo has disappeared. Chandler dismisses yep. this while Alex goes to investigate the dorm to see if maybe he... Actually, I don't know why he investigates the dorm. To find the source yeah, of this noise, I t- guess. It's not clear. Uh... In the hallway, he bumps into Whitey Whiterson, who is dressed in a shower cap with an old-timey <laughs> bathing brush, which I thought was great. I love that gag. <laughs> oh, quiet. You'll wake the dead. Yeah, I mean, he's just like the most cartoon equivalent of someone getting ready to go take a bath. He looks like Squidward. He's wearing, yeah, he's wearing such an elaborate outfit. He's wearing so many things just to go and bathe. So while this is happening, Chandler is examining the portrait uh, because he has noticed that the boy who was there and then disappeared is now back, and he's got an old-timey camera in front of him. Yep, and when Chandler looks at the picture, he is sucked into the world of the picture. The guy in the picture, he's back. Chandler! In a very early 2000s effect. In what can only be described as a very early 2000s Are You Afraid of the Dark effect. Just imagine a ghost getting sucked into the ghost trap, the containment unit from uh, Ghostbusters. Alex understandably I, panics, runs to tell the Lion Society, and they write this whole thing I off. need to correct myself, Dykus. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I said two different things there. I said the trap and the containment unit. The trap is the thing that they step on the pressure plate and it opens. That's what you should be picturing. The containment unit is the thing they keep in the basement of Hook and Ladder 49. Do not picture that. That has no bearing on this situation. He gets sucked into the, the photo like he, like a ghost sucked into a trap. Thank you, Eli. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> that was my Elliot Kalen moment. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't even know where we were now. Uh... So Alex runs and gets the lions, and he's like, you guys got to help me. Chandler just got sucked into this photo. And Dickie McDickerson says, you're not even, like, up for candidacy anymore. Why are you trying to play a prank on us? And he's like, I'm not trying to play a prank. It wasn't a dream. It really happened. (laughs) Shades of the tale of the reanimator here, where something supernatural happens, and clearly it must just be someone pulling a prank. That's all kids do is just wall-to-wall pranks. They They love their pranking. Since since no one believes him, we cut to the next day when Alex is trying to solve this mystery. He's in the library trying to find out about the picture. We're getting some serious Dutch angles happening here. A lot of Dutch as angles. As an old man is spying on him. A lot of Dutch angles to jazz up this scene of just Alex doing research at the library. He discovers mm-hmm. the identity of this photographer kid. Turns out his mm-hmm. name is Jasper Davis, and he died in 1944 at the age of 15. Alex also meets the guy who's creeping on him, who is an older professor named Professor Barish, who realizes what has happened before Alex even tells him. Barish is like, your friend got sucked into the picture, didn't he? Do you have it? Oh, Professor Barish. Do you have the photo? (laughs) I really enjoy this because he's like, what are you doing? And the kid's like, nothing. 
And he's like, if you've got that picture, if you've got that picture, you need to tell me. And he's like, I don't know what picture you're talking about. And the old man's like, don't fuck with me, kid. I know what's going on here. <laughs> Professor Barish pulls Alex aside and just dumps a big old load of exposition on him. We learn that uh, Professor Barish was a member of the the Lions Society back in the 40s and that his friend Jasper had gone out to be a part of the group and didn't make it and fell off a roof. He was, yeah, after he was rejected by the club, the club apparently antagonized him and chased him up onto the roof where he accidentally fell off and died. And apparently after Jasper's death, this mysterious photo of the old Lions Society house appeared and began sucking up kids. And after a few instances of this, uh, Professor Barish hid the photo behind this old-timey portrait, but now the photo has been revealed again, and they have to stop it. Yeah, so anytime someone looks at this picture while the camera is out, they get sucked into it, and they don't know what to do. Later still, we see the leader of the Lion Society, Draco Whiteboy. He invites himself into Alex's dorm room looking for Chandler. He gets sucked into the portrait himself. <laughs> I loved Alex's reaction to this. Like, Whitey McWhiterson gets uh, absorbed into the photo, and Alex's reaction is to go, Oh, man! Oh, man. 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 Yeah. <laughs> like, it's that, one step... line of the episode. It's one step away from that YouTube clip of the guy going, Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man, oh God, oh man. You know what, I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. put him in the bad line reading Hall of Fame, because otherwise he's pretty good in this episode, but that line is ridiculous. And it's not his fault. They should not have written him reacting that way. <laughs> so Alex grabs the, the photo, a photo in hand, he returns to the scene of the crime, which is the old Lion Society headquarters across town. And he walks inside and enters a world of black and white. Kind of like, it's sort of like Midnight Madness. Like, he crosses this this threshold into the house, and suddenly everything inside is in black and white. I fucking love this, too. This reminds me of all of those weird side quests that you get in Oblivion and Skyrim and all of those, where you get sucked into a book or a painting or someone's dream or something weird like that. Yeah. It's a bit like that. Love that shit. The house that he entered... More Dutch angles. <laughs> The House of the Enders is full of empty picture frames, except for a few, all of which contain pictures of screaming frat boys caught in their, like, final moment. It's like if you were trying to take a really goofy-ass selfie. Alex keeps wandering through this house, and he eventually discovers its sole occupant, and it was, of course, the creepy photographer kid, Jasper Davis. Jasper, who I got some very sort of Draco Malfoy... um, Prince Joffrey vibes off of. I had the same thing in my notes. He's like Drake. I have I've written here this kid. He's like Draco Malfoy, but more irritating. Jasper Davis, but you're dead. Yeah, I know. Ouch. <laughs> and it was all their fault. They rejected me, you know, and then they killed me right outside. Well, you're not so high and mighty now, are you, lions? Yeah, he talks like a cliche villain, and he dresses like a car salesman in a Muppet movie. <laughs> you were exactly right. Jasper starts fuming and mocking. Actually, now I kind of love him. <laughs> I, I like this villain, too. He's such a ham. Yeah, he really is. Uh, Barish shows up as well, right as Jasper is explaining what's going on. Jasper blames all of the Lion Society guys for killing him. He says that they pushed him off of the roof, and they're like, no, it was an accident, you fell. Um, 
Well, he says... Jasper doesn't want to hear any of this. He says, the lions killed me. And Alex is like, no, dude, you fell. It was an accident. And Jasper is just like, yeah, well, it wouldn't have happened if they let me in. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, he ran up to their roof. Anyway, the professor shows up and he tries to convince the kid of this, too. He's like, listen, man, you are my friend. I was trying to help you. Like, I went up there to stop all of this from happening. And I saw you fall and I've got all this guilt. And old Jasper is just like, tough shit, old man. And he obliterates him and traps him in a photo. He takes a picture of him and it sucks him into the camera. And the next time we see him, one of the empty pictures on the wall is like Polaroid developing. And it turns into a picture of this old professor. Now things get uh, a bit trippy and hard to explain. I'm going to do my best to explain how the physics work in these next couple of scenes. So Alex has brought the, the photo of the house with him for reference. But strange things start to happen when he looks at the photo inside the house. When he looks at the photo, he sees his own face gazing in through the windows around him. Yeah, if you are outside of the photo looking into it, then a person inside of the house sees you outside looking into it. And the proportions are accurate. So if you're holding a photo, the photo is smaller than you, which means the person who is inside the house and sees you looking at them, uh, you are a giant. So he sees a giant version of himself outside of the window staring in at himself. I actually really like this visual trick. It's the only, it's one of the few times they go for something like this in this episode. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the Doll's House episode in like season two. So yeah, he's trying to figure out what's going on here, where when he stares into the window, he's looking at himself inside of the room on the other side of that window. And as he's doing this, Jasper is getting ready to take his picture. So thinking very quickly, Alex hatches a plan and tells Jasper that he's okay having his picture taken and being trapped forever. He just wants to make sure it's a good picture. So he lures Jasper to the window, starts to pose for this portrait. And then using the magical properties of this photo, he tricks Jasper into taking a picture of his own reflection in the window. Or not reflection, but his own face in the window. As he's leaving, Alex uses the camera to take a picture of the picture. And that's when, like, reality starts starts to tear itself apart. It makes a lot more sense when you see it. It's very well, it's it's told visually. Yeah, this is an well. awesome scene. This whole, like, everything in the house here, which we'll point out, is great. It's the best part of the episode. I think that the, the set design in this episode is fantastic. Like a big, empty black and white house full of empty portraits. It's We'll talk about it in a minute. Alex escapes outside. We see a flash of white light from inside the house, and then everything is back to normal. And Alex is joined by Chandler, Professor Barish, and uh, Whitey Whiterson, the Lions Society leader, all restored to their normal selves. We get one of those classic Are You Afraid of the Dark moments where they say, but Professor, what happened to all of the guys that were trapped in portraits from the 40s? And the Professor just, like, does like he doesn't even try to be hopeful. He says, well, let's just hope they're all in a better place. So, like, We know what that means. They are. They went straight to hell. They all went straight to hell. <laughs> like... <laughs> Those assholes were, were, were partially responsible for the death of a student. They were assholes in a weird white secret society. They got trapped in yeah. photos, and then they died. <laughs> they went straight to hell and liked it. And the professor is just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Whitey Whiterson tries to ask Alex to join. He's like, hey, listen, you know what? You've showed that you're great. You and Chandler are both in the lions. And, of course, Alex says... Nah, dog, you guys can go circle jerk all you want. I think I'm good with people who 
are like aren't into these into proving how cool they are and chandler says yeah me neither and the professor says gosh i wish i'd said that all those years ago and the three of them walk off arm in arm I don't think they're arm in arm. They are arm in arm whistling. <laughs> this is not that, like, like not like coordinated the fucking Wizard of Oz thing. here. Yeah, yeah. They're walking like the uh, Sanderson sisters. <laughs> All right, fine. They walk off arm in arm. <laughs> the end. <laughs> uh, we cut back to the Midnight Society, and this is one of the few times in the new batch where we kind of get a longer resolution to things. Yeah, Andy reveals that it turns out he was let into the Rings Club after Tucker walked out. Because it turns out after Tucker left, there was a spot to be filled. And Andy claims that he just stole Tucker's uh, spot in the club. Tucker gets mad about this. I thought he was just going to, like, punch Andy. But no, he just storms <laughs> off to go confront the, the higher-ups at this club. Andy tells and- everyone that he's just kidding. They're both in the club. Andy phrases this in a really bizarre way. <laughs> What does he say? I just like seeing him go all snaky like that. Everyone congratulates (laughs) him. I don't know why he said it that way. The correct phrase in there was just, I love gassing his nasty. How did they not give that to Quinn? How did (laughs) Quinn not high-five him for gassing the old nasty? (laughs) Everyone has a good chuckle. They all walk away from the campfire, arm in arm in arm in arm. (laughs) (laughs) Funky-ass theme song. Funky-ass theme song. And Dykus, that was the tale of the photo finish. What did you think hey, of this one? Boy, it sure was. I, I like this episode. This was a fun one. This was the one that didn't take itself too seriously, which I've come to realize is almost always a good thing. Yeah. Um, it, I'm going to say I loved this episode. It doesn't quite compare to the zaniness of, of Time Trap last week, but I, I have to give... Tell the photo finish a lot of credit. The villains in this episode are, like I said, really, really hammy and white, which makes them easy to laugh at. All the actors in this episode did a pretty good job. It's it's not an episode I'll probably think about much later, but I still thoroughly enjoyed this one. Oh, man. I actually think that this episode... I, I think way more highly of this one than you. I thought that this episode was wonderful, and this is going to be one of the episodes that I think back on a lot, probably. And actually... Really? Yeah, I think this is one of those that, you know, I talked about this a lot when we first started the show. Episodes that I thought were quintessential, like if you were trying to pitch someone on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Say, like, here's an episode that you gotta watch. This is what the show is about. I think this is one of those episodes where the stuff that's happening with the Midnight Society tells you about the Midnight Society, but also really informs the story. The Midnight Society has a a problem, and it gets resolved, and there's character development and resolution there. It ties into the story, and the story is great. It is about a ghost. It is about yep. some sort of like crazy thing happening, and teens having to resolve their social interactions with each other. It's I think quintessential. Are you afraid of the dark? And I loved it. Man, I was I I figured you would like this one, but that's some really glowing praise here. It's also like visually, it's so iconic. I think this is an episode where if I had seen it as a kid. I'm almost certain I didn't see it because I feel like I would remember it. Uh, The black and white segments, the creepy-ass photo, Jasper is such a weird character. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, you could have easily slotted this into, you know, seasons two or three, and it would have felt of a piece. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So I loved this episode, but that's not what we're here to find out. Dykus, you scared of this? I was not scared of this. 
I, I, that's the one thing kind of that may hold it back a little bit for me was there's nothing really scary here. The house is creepy and cool, and like we said, we really, we, I think we both really loved the set design of the the ghost house at the very end. But I, I guess there's so many things about this episode that are just like goofy and silly, like the over the top villains and the eating the heart of a ro- of a wild boar. A lot of it was takes place in the daytime. It was not scary, and that may be why I don't consider it like quite as top tier as you did. But don't get me wrong, this is still really fun, and you should watch it. That all Eli, makes sense. what about you? Did you? I almost, I almost misphrased the question again. Eli, <laughs> you scared of this? Yes. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I just spit out the water I was drinking. Why were you drinking water right after asking me a question like that? That's a terrible idea. Uh, I was totally scared of this. This episode, I feel like Stefan right now, this episode had everything that scares the shit out of me. Spooky scene in a library where, like, paranormal shit is happening. At night. A ghost inside of a photograph. I, I forgot from the tale of the, the lethal librarian or whatever that you're scared of libraries. Yeah, yeah, and the tale <laughs> I, of I know the that's girl. not the episode title, I just like that title better. <laughs> she was lethal. She killed a lot of kids. That is true. Like, her body count is higher than Jasper's. That librarian, hoofa doofa. Gesundheit. Anyway, yeah, this episode definitely scared me. Uh, Just in the beginning parts, I think that the, like I said, I think the set design in this episode is wonderful. They've got, like, a really nice old prep school look. And that's also, like, anytime you have an old building, it's like Bryce and I talked about. Anytime you have an old building like that, that feels like it has a lot of history and it's really lived in, uh, that lends itself to being creepy. That plus kid in a black and white photo plus sneaking around a library at night the early parts of this i thought were very scary once you know the mechanics of the ghost like once the mystery is solved and it's just a matter of finishing that conflict i don't think that part of it was scary but it's so strange that a little kid would probably still be scared of that you know i generally say like how would a six-year-old handle this a Mm six-year-old probably still would have been scared of that part even um especially because it'd be so strange to see like how many shows just jump into black and white not many So I'm going to give this episode a yes and say that I think it was scary. All right. Well, the rare occasion when we split the decision. You know, I'm tallying up our verdicts on these episodes. I'm going to be interested to see how many times we we split the decision on, on whether or not we were scared of this. It doesn't happen very often. When it does, I'm willing to bet that I'm scared more frequently than you are. Well, tune in for the final Freddy's coming soon. And we'll place your bets. We'll see. Next week, it's going to be The Tale of the Last Dance. And it's going to be, brace yourself, the final Andy story. Yep, cue up that tuba. We'll be saying goodbye to Andy. Yep, until then, we want to thank everyone for listening this deep into the podcast. We're still racking up like new likes and new listeners, even as we approach the very end. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Thank you to everyone who's who's tuning in as we, uh, as we inch our way through Season 7. It continually surpasses our expectations. Until then, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash you scared of this. Twitter at you scared of this. You can listen to every previous episode to get caught up at soundcloud.com slash you scared of this. If you want to find us on some sort of podcasting service, we are on Apple Podcasts and Google Play or whatever those services are called now. Yeah, who knows? How can you even tell? 
So until then, I guess I guess let's let's call it a day here, Eli. You want yep. you want to do the honors? I did it last. I week, like so. I liked this one so much. I'll do it. I hereby declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. Have we talked about how much of a fucking pervert Dave Matthews is? No. That song, which is his like most famous song, you know, crash into me, baby, whatever. Yeah. Uh, he says, crash into me and I come into you in a boy's dream. And then later on, he says, he's he's like outside of her window looking at her. And then he says, uh, oh, he says, uh, you wear nothing, but you wear it so well. So he's like spying on a naked woman. He's outside of her window and he's dreaming about ejaculating inside of her. And that is his like most famous love song. That's what every woman wants to hear, right? <laughs> he also says that <laughs> he comes into her in a boy's dream. Yeah, the fact that he phrases it as a boy's dream is kind of weird. Which I assume has to mean a wet dream. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, what a pervert. So, their very large saxophonist, who I loved, Leroy, uh, passed away several years ago, and has Leroy has been replaced by a short, fifty-something uh, white saxophonist who looks like a genie. <laughs> I encourage everyone to look up Dave Matthews' current saxophonist because no human being has ever looked more like a genie than this man. <laughs> he has he has like a chin a long chin strap like a goat. And it's white, and he's bald, and he was wearing a shirt with, I think, like, Japanese kanji all over it. Like a silk shirt covered in kanji. It was pretty great. (laughs) 